It was one of those old houses you see from time to time, standing off the road, across the field, out toward the country, the roof mostly gone, windows sagging and empty, peering at you over a half-rotted porch as you drive by. It's hard to believe that anyone had ever lived there, but according to my great-grandfather, it was the house he was born in. His excitement grew as we pulled onto the bare dirt track that led to the house. The car was still rolling when out he popped and was moving as fast as his cane would let him up the stairs and through the black hole that served as a door. Following as fast as we could, we too crossed the threshold and came to a sudden and abrupt halt, like hitting an unseen wall. In the gray light filtering through the dust, we could see the back of an old wingback chair, grimy and tattered, facing toward the fireplace on the far wall of the room. There was no sign of great-granddad. Try as we might, we could not move forward. A voice seemed to come from the depths of the wingback chair. Don't worry, you'll have him back safe and sound. But first, you must listen to my weird wonder stories from a time long ago. When I'm done, just step back and leave. Great-grandfather will be found sleeping in the car. And we did. Here is a story about a very special kind of immortality from a very famous author. The Old Tombstone by Hans Christian Andersen In a small provincial town lived a man who owned his own house. There one evening he and his whole family were gathered together. It was the time of year when people say, the evenings are growing longer, and it was still pleasant and warm. The lamp was lit, Long curtains hung down before the windows by which stood several flower pots, and bright moonlight flooded the world outside. But they were not talking about the moonlight. They were discussing a huge old stone that lay out in the yard, near the kitchen door, where the servants often placed their copper utensils when they had been washed to dry in the sun, and where the children usually played. As a matter of fact, it was an old tombstone. I believe, explained the master of the house, that it came from the old ruined chapel of the convent. Pulpit and tombstones with their epithets were sold, and my departed father bought several of them. We broke up the others into paving stones, but we didn't use that one and left it laying in the yard. You can easily tell that it's a tombstone, said the eldest of the children. You can still see the hourglass on it and a piece of an angel, but the inscription is just about gone. You can make out the name Preben and a capital S just after it, and Martha a little further down, but it is impossible to read any more. And you can see that only after it has been raining or we have washed the stone. Now a very old man, who from his age might have been the grandfather of everybody in the room, spoke up. Why, that must be the tombstone of Preben Savin and his wife, he said. Yes, of course, that grand old couple were almost the last to be buried in the churchyard of the old convent. In my childhood days, I knew them as an honorable old couple. Everyone knew them and loved them. They were like a king and queen in this town. People said they had more than a barrel full of money, 
and yet they were always dressed simply, in very coarse cloth, but their linen was always snowy white. Yes, they were a lovable old pair, Preben and Martha, and when they sat on the bench at the top of the stone staircase, over which the old linden tree spread its branches, nodding friendly and gently to passers-by, it made you glad to see them. They were so wonderfully kind to the poor people, they gave them food and clothing, but there was good sense and a true Christian spirit in all their charity. She died first. I can remember that day very well, though I was only a little boy. My father took me to see old Preben right after she passed away. The old man was so heartbroken he cried like a child. The corpse of his wife lay in her bedroom, near where we were sitting. The old man told my father and a couple of his neighbors how lonely he would be now, how wonderful she had been, and how many years they had spent together, and how they had first met and come to love each other. As I told you, I was only a child and stood by listening, but it touched me deeply to hear the old man and see how he grew more animated as he talked. A faint color came into his cheeks as he told us of the days of their courtship, how pretty she had been, and how many little tricks he had played to get to meet her. And when he told us about his wedding day, his eyes really sparkled. He seemed to be living his happy hours again. Yet all the while she was lying dead nearest in the bedroom, an old lady, and he was an old man who spoke of the days of hope. Yes, that's the way it goes. I was only a child then, and now I'm very old, as old as Preven was. Yes, time and change come to all things. I can remember so clearly the day of the funeral and Preven's following her coffin. A couple of years before, they had had their tombstone card with names and inscriptions, just leaving the dates of their deaths blank. And that same evening, the stone was set in its place on the grave. Only a year later, the grave had to be reopened, for old Preven joined his wife again. It turned out they were not so rich as people had thought, and the little they did leave went to distant relatives far away to people who never had been heard of before. The old wooden house with the bench under the linden tree at the top of the high stone staircase was pulled down by order of the town council, for it was much too ruined to stand any longer. And later the same fate befell the chapel, and the cemetery was leveled. Preben's and Martha's old tombstone was sold, like the rest, to anybody who wanted to buy it. And so it happened that it wasn't broken in pieces, but that it is now laying out there in the yard for children to play on or to be used as a shelf for the servant maid's kitchen utensils. And the paved street now covers the resting place of old Preven and his wife, and nobody ever thinks about them anymore. Then the old man who had told him the story shook his head sadly. Yes, forgotten. All things are forgotten. The rest began to speak of other things, but the youngest child, a little boy with large grave eyes, 
climbed up on a chair and peered through the curtains into the yard. The moon shone down brightly on the huge stone, which previously had seemed to the little boy very flat and dull, but which now had become like a page from a wonderful storybook. For the stone seemed to contain within it all that the little boy had heard about Preven and his wife. He looked down at the stone, and then up at the brilliant moon, which seemed like a divine face, peering down on the earth through the pure, still air. Forgotten. All things are forgotten. The words were again repeated in the room, and at that moment an invisible angel kissed him on the forehead and whispered softly, Keep the seed carefully. Cherish it until the time for ripening shall come. Through you, my child, shall the half-vanished inscription on the crumbling tombstone stand out in clear characters for generations to come. Through you shall the old couple once more walk arm in arm through the old streets and sit with smiling, rosy-cheeked faces on their bench under the linden tree, greeting rich and poor alike. From this moment on through the years, the seed shall ripen into a blooming poem, for the good and the beautiful perish never. They live eternally in story and song. The End And on the way home we heard great-grandfather mumbling in his sleep. Such marvelous stories, he said. Such marvelous stories. I haven't heard these since I was a child. And he promptly fell back asleep.